0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today's January 25th, 2024, and I'm joined as usual today by IPI's resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews. And today, Doctor Matthews, we're going to be talking about immigration takes center stage, and there it seems like it seems like every time you turn on cable news now, every time you get an internet notice of any sort of breaking news story or whatever, it's got
1: something to do with immigration. It's all over the media map, and of course, we live in Texas, where uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been trying to uh, trying to address the immigration problem. He's gotten pushed back from the uh, Biden administration. And there's just recently, I think, been a a court decision that uh, the federal government can come in and start removing some of the razor wire Mm. that Governor Abbott has put up.
0: So let's talk about that for a second, because I think there's been some confusion about this. Um, What the Supreme Court did was it overturned an injunction. So in other words, Uh there, there was an injunction that the state of Texas had secured uh, against the federal government enforcing those rules. And what the Supreme Court did is it overturned the injunction. So the Supreme Court didn't order Texas to comply with the federal government. Technically, they just said, we're removing this. We're overturning. I think it was the Fifth Circuit that, that actually gave the put an injunction against the federal government. Mm-hmm. So now it comes down to the federal government sort of renewing their demands that Texas take it down. And uh, Texas Governor Abbott has taken a stand and said, We are going to exercise what he sees as Texas's constitutional rights to protect itself against invasion. Right. And almost immediately after he issued that statement, uh, a dozen or more red states, red governed states sort of jumped in and said, you know, we stand with Texas and all this sort of stuff. So there is a little bit of an interesting Sort of uh, constitutional conflict shaping a dynamic up.
1: going on, yeah. yeah. And it, it's an interesting question because the Biden administration keeps coming up and saying immigration is a federal issue; mm-hmm. it is not a state issue. Well, and I think they're right, and, I think and, I, and, yeah. the, and they're right. But mm-hmm. then the issue comes up of if you, as the federal government, are not <laughs> are not right. exercising that, if you're not enforcing the law then does it essentially fall to us as the states to try to do something?
0: And, and ironically, you know, we've we have waved the impeachment flag so many times in recent years. Right. Mm-hmm. Arguably, this is the sort of thing impeachment is for, like the the, the, the president failing to execute the laws of the country. You know, um, but I think that, you know, people have said, well, you know, we're not going to impeach Joe Biden over this. Uh but so so the question remains then are the states powerless to defend themselves if the executive if the chief executive simply fails to execute and defend the, the constitution
1: and republicans in the house i think are gearing up to perhaps in, try to impeach uh, secretary uh, mayorkas mm-hmm. for not enforcing border uh, policies and rules and so forth and that's somewhat understandable on the other hand I think Secretary Mayorkas is doing the bidding of the administration of the person who put him in that position. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing
0: about about Abbott's position, you know, there's a there's a pragmatic angle and there's a principled angle, right? So the pragmatic angle is sort of, well, if the federal government's going to do something, then Texas has no choice but to do something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, on the other hand, um, when 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 Governor Abbott essentially quotes the invasion provision. Um, th- for the most part, when courts have looked at that, they have described that as talking about a military invasion, mm-hmm. not simply a bunch of illegal immigrants coming across the border. So it's possible that that the constitutional basis that Governor Abbott is using is actually not sound or would not be held up by a court. But in the meantime, that's what he's using. And by the way, this is the sort of thing that that other political players in Texas have been urging the governor to do for some time, particularly Someone who ran against Governor Abbott for Governor Don Huffines has mm-hmm. long been agitating that this is an invasion and so you have a constitutional right to take action. So it hasn't been tested in court yet, but that's the basis that Governor Abbott is using. But you had a piece in The Hill recently where you sort of explained the sheer overwhelming sort of number of people who have been illegal people who have been coming across the border. And it's kind of mind boggling.
1: Right. Yes. Uh, the Pew Research Institute uh, Polling Company. Uh, tracks this and has for some time. And by their estimate, right around 2020 or so, you had about 10.2 million illegal immigrants living in the country. Now, some people could argue whether that's too high or too low, but they, they've they been tracking it and they had it about 10.2 million. And that's actually grown over the years. Uh, going back to 1990, according to Pew Research, it was only 3.5 million. They call it unauthorized immigrants. Uh, but that number has been growing and it went, it peaked at, two point, at 12.2 million in 2005 and then started declining slowly since then, hitting about two, uh, 10.2 million around uh, 2019, 2020. So uh, President Biden comes into office in the beginning of uh, 2021. And since that time, according to the Border Patrol, we have roughly about 10 million more people coming in. And that's based upon about 8.5 million encounters that the Border Patrol has had in the roughly three years that President Biden has been in office, and another uh, roughly 1.7 million, what they call gotaways. These are people that he, maybe they saw but they couldn't get. They're you know they're running, yeah. <laughs> or people who they didn't even uh, encounter, didn't see, and had no access to. So there's an estimated 1.7 million. Who've come in in that time period? So you put the 8.5 million, the 1.7 million, gives you roughly 10 million, maybe a little more. Who've come in in Biden's three years so far? So, 10, a little over 10 million, uh, in the country when Biden takes office, another 10 million, essentially doubling that number since he's been in the office. And the problem I'm raised, I, I point out, is if he is, uh, if he's running for reelection, if he is reelected. And if there is no serious reform legislation passed, both of which are distinct possibilities. The number of people are likely to grow because it's growing exponentially right now. The numbers are increasing. So you could see in the next five years, because it would be roughly um, 2019 or 2029 before he leaves, uh, you could see the number, another 10, 15, maybe 20 million people coming into the country illegally.
0: So, the astonishing talking point there is that is that thanks to Biden administration uh, tolerance, thanks to Biden administration policy, the the failure, num- to,
1: em- enforce failure to enforce the law,
0: a- um, the number of illegal immigrants in the country has doubled right. in just three years. In three years. You know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about how, you know, how the national debt skyrockets under certain presidents or whatever but here you have a case where literally the number of illegal immigrants has doubled
1: in just 3 years under
0: president biden
1: and if you get t- if you got 10 more 10 million more in 3 years mm-hmm. and the number of people are are gr- is growing that's why i say in the next 5 years yeah. if biden is reelected and there's no reform you could easily see 15 million maybe 20 million yeah as you
0: point in. as you point out there's no reason to think that that the Biden administration's approach toward immigration would be any different in a second Biden term. No, I mean,
1: no. <laughs> I mean, remember, he's only concerned now because the elections coming up.
0: Right. Because because fellow Democrats are putting pressure on it. Right. right. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that, that the Biden administration spokespersons would look us in the eye and tell us the border is secure. Right. While yeah, oh, oh, yeah. While we're not in a crisis. Time, yeah. While at the same time, in a split screen, you could see live video footage of, of scores and scores of people just coming across the border.
1: Oh, yeah. We have uh, the roughly 10,000 encounters a day. And it's just so overwhelmed border security that they can't really do anything. And now you have the situation of the Biden administration taking people, putting them on planes and shipping them all over the country. Mm-hmm. And you even have articles, com- stories coming out about uh, the illegal, Ill- illegal immigrants in the various airports waiting to get on board they don't have to go through security the same way we do. They don't have to show yeah, ideas. which is
0: amazing. Which is just astonishing. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about um, immigration as far as uh, sort of its impact on the country and on the economy, right? Uh, because you've done some work on that too. I want to point out that we at IPI are not we are not opponents of legal immigration. We no. think legal immigration is a good and healthy and necessary thing for the country.
1: And you know one of the one of the real. Unfortunate aspects of this is that it is the Biden policy has so poisoned the immigration debate that they're looking at trying to get a new law passed. We don't know whether or not they'll be able to pass this law, Uh, but it has made it so difficult, which is it's just so unfortunate, Tom, because we need immigrants in the economy. Yep. And you could conceivably look at one of the Bracero programs like they had during World War II and a little after. Something where you have a worker program that comes in and people can fill those jobs and so forth. But it has so poisoned the well that it's almost impossible to do anything right now.
0: uh, Legal immigrants come in and they, they contribute to economic growth. They provide much needed labor. They pay taxes. Uh, you know, it, a, a, an immigrant worker with legal status is a net plus to the country. Right. the The problem, of course, with when you have a huge number of illegal immigrants is that, by definition, they can't get work permits so they because they're get- illegal. Right. Right.
1: And so there are huge costs to the point that the governor, uh, the mayor of New York, is asking Eric Adams is asking the Biden administration to go ahead and try to expedite some kind of way to get work permits for all these people who have come especially Venezuelans and some others, so that they can begin to work.
0: Sure. And, and you know, you mentioned Venezuelans, of course. You know, I think any decent human being has total sympathy for people who are fleeing a country like Venezuela right. that has utterly failed. People are starving. The Venezuelan population in general is a highly educated population. Uh, you know, Venezuela is not a backwater. Venezuela was a sophisticated at at urban time, country. Yeah, yeah Exactly. Uh, and these are people who simply want what's best for their family and they're willing to work. And there ought to be an easy way for them to come to the country legally, get a work permit. We know they're here. We know why they're here. Mm-hmm. You know, have at it. Become a constructive member of, of the American society and American economy. But unfortunately, that's not, that's not what's happening. And intermingled with all of these folks like Venezuelans are people from all over the world. Oh, yeah. Including, and this is not hyperbole, including people from countries that export terrorism right uh... and we know the border patrol has documented this the border patrol has documented people coming over from arab countries from pakistan they've documented people coming from ukraine Mm -hmm. uh... because they're fleeing their war-torn situation in ukraine uh... people from all over the place are making their way to mexico and south america and then coming up through the border because that's the easiest way to
1: get into the united states yes it is you can just walk right across the border and you get your name taken, and uh, fairly quickly, you mm-hmm. can get on some kind of transportation, either provided by Governor Abbott if you're in Texas, <laughs> or so, in some cases, the federal government is flying people around all over the country. And, you know, as we point out, they don't they, they don't have work, pits, work permits, so they're not able to work in the regular economy. Now, there will be families and communities, there will be refugee organizations and the federal government and so forth that are going to try to st- uh, step up and help out. But it's you're you're coming here. most of these people do not have much money, right? They may if they had any, they may have given it to the uh, coyotes to help them get up the mm-hmm. organized crime to get up through. So they're going to need money to be able to pay for things, but they don't have jobs. They can't work legally. There's going to be cost, food, shelter, um, uh, health care expenses and other things, and they they don't have the money to do that yeah,
0: without a without a work permit, you essentially are a charity case right. And it may be that you're living with family or somebody like that. It may be that there's some religious ministry or something that's looking after you. On the other hand, we do know that that federal dollars go to some of these nonprofit organizations to provide relief. So you are, instead of contributing to the economy as a legal immigrant, you're a drain on the economy, essentially, because you're a charity case.
1: And because you can't work in the normal economy, you either take jobs that you're working for cash like on construction or doing various things that you're getting cash. So essentially under the counter kind of money that you're not going to claim on taxes because you don't have a tax ID or you go into the underground economy, illegal aspects of it. And Mayor Adams of New York has pointed this out as well. He said, we've got people from Venezuela and other countries who are engaging in prostitution and other things because they need, they, that's something they can do because they can't work in the normal economy. So one problem
0: with this sort of massive illegal immigration is just the drain on the taxpayers.
1: Well, in fact, one of the groups out there, uh, Open the Books, has ho- has tried to cap tabulate how much money we're spending from the federal government. So their recent estimate just came out. Uh, $20 billion for refugee care in 2022 and 2023. So what when they go through things, and I'm l- reading off their list here, uh, transitional medical services, refugee support services, that's something you mentioned a minute ago, survivors of torture, unaccompanied children, uh, anti-trafficking persons program, and so forth. When they pull all that together, they were looking at about $8.9 billion in fiscal year 2022 and $10.9 billion in fiscal year 2023 for all these services to be able to help out with various people who are, uh, these people who are coming across and need children, families that need uh, some kind of assistance in various ways. And of course, that doesn't count schools because under the Supreme Court, if you're you're a school-aged child you are allowed to go to public schools. That's going to be largely picked up by local and state costs, uh, but you're allowed to, to do that. And, and as we've seen, there are millions of these families who are young, uh, generally young families, childbearing families, and a lot of them have children, and those children are going to be able to go to school at taxpayer expense.
0: Yeah, so there, there's not just federal expenses, but there's also state and local expenses exactly. too. Yeah.
1: So even though the refugee groups and stuff step up, as you point out, Um, The the large uh, majority of these burdens are ultimately going to be covered by the taxpayer, either state, local or federal.
0: Okay, so so that's sort of the first general area of of problem is the idea that it's a drain on the taxpayer. The second, which we've also talked about, is the potential that terrorists and criminals are coming in along with along with this massive, you know, influx of human beings. Now. Donald Trump has perhaps overemphasized this. You get the impression that, that every immigrant coming across the border is a fentanyl dealer or a rapist or something listening to Donald Trump. Right. But the fact of the matter is that some are. Uh, some, some are. are. The vast I mean,
1: majority, I think, are probably right. families who have been, uh, they have they're looking for economic opportunity, can't blame them for that. They mm-hmm. come from, in many cases, failed states, right. and they want to come and be able to get a chance to get at the American dream. And you can't blame them for that. Uh, you you can you can blame them for not going through the process, but it once I mean the borders are open, you yeah. get to walk across and get your name down, and it will be I think around twenty thirty one or twenty thirty two before uh, their hearing is their cases are able to brought, be brought up. So you're
0: in that, that 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 is among the most ridiculous things here is you come across and they schedule a court date for you six and seven years in the future. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, good luck good luck finding me six or seven years from now. Uh, you, know, you know, back to this back to this danger sort of aspect. Uh, when you don't know who's coming across the border, then you have to assume that there are some people coming across the border who wish to, Take advantage of our free and wealthy society here, not just in terms of being on welfare, but for criminal purposes, too. Again, whether it's smuggling drugs, whether it's sex trafficking, whether you're just a convicted criminal in your home country and you're coming here just to see what kind of damage you can do here. And potential terrorists. And potential terrorism, absolutely.
1: And, and that's where the Border Patrol has recorded a significant increase in the number of people on the terrorist watch list who've come across. And of course, as I mentioned, there's an awful lot of, there's millions of gotaways, people that they didn't get yeah, or did
0: ev- Every once in a while, you'll hear a story about somebody being apprehended at the border who was on the ter- terrorist watch list. Right. But it's like, okay, well, what about all the people that, that got away that you didn't apprehend? If you're on
1: the terrorist right watch list, you probably don't want to be caught or right. apprehended.
0: Because if, you, if you're if you if you're coming over here for asylum, you're looking for Border Patrol agents to surrender to, right? right? That's
1: part of the that's, strategy, that's right? Doing, yeah, because it's going to be six or seven right. years. But if you're coming over out.
0: here to set up a terrorist cell, you're not looking for the border agents. You're avoiding the border agents.
1: And so I think we can be certain there are terrorist cells that have formed out there probably looking for at the right time and the right place to be able to engage in a terrorist attack. Uh, as we know from the Oklahoma bo- City bombing several years ago, you don't have to go out and get necessarily get sophisticated stuff to create a bomb. So, you know, if you were look if you're a terrorist looking to sort of really disrupt things in the country, you you might think, well, let's blow something up right before the election and just see what happens with that, because it would really, uh, it could jumble the election a good bit.
0: Yeah, I, I think the terrorist threat is real. I don't think that's an exaggeration when people talk about that. And there's another whole area here uh, related to this out-of-control illegal immigration, and that is what we might call political distortion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Republicans strongly s- suspect the reason Democrats don't seem to care about the border is they think they are importing a whole new cohort of future voters, right? and that at some point in the future... All of these people are going to be given amnesty. They're going to be given um, citizenship or an easy path to citizenship or something like that. And so and I I think probably that is part of the motivation that Democrats have for being so easy on the border. Uh, But the political distortion doesn't necessarily take place at some point in the future, when illegal immigrants are given some sort of across-the-board amnesty, the political distortion is going on now. Right. And the reason for that is there's multiple reasons for that. First of all, as you and I discussed in the office in preparation for the podcast, census apportionment for members of Congress and for the Electoral College includes illegal
1: immigrants. And that was an issue going back in 2020 when the question was, because Donald Trump said, we should be counting, we should recognize illegal immigrants and count them as such, Mm -hmm. but they shouldn't be part of the apportionment for congressional representation. And progressives and others uh, said, no, no, we absolutely have to. That's the, the, uh, the constitution says you're taking account of the people in the country. Mm -hmm. They're in the country, so they should be part of that.
0: So depending on congressional district, you could have congressional districts that are heavily influenced by an illegal Immigrant population, and that doesn't necessarily—it's not necessarily limited to Texas or Oklahoma, or Texas or Arizona. Right. We know that there are places, in we know Dearborn, Michigan, has a large, large number of of immigrants from the Middle East mm-hmm. that are there. Um, you could literally have congressional districts that are distorted because of a population of illegal immigrants, but who are nonetheless included. In the census apportionment and the allocation of members of Congress,
1: and of course, the, the, one might say, "Well, what difference does it make if, as long as they can't vote, but in some cases they can vote?" Well,
0: that's that's the other thing. That's that's what we were getting to. Um, there are cities, there are blue cities and blue states, that have already either attempted or succeeded in allowing illegal immigrants to vote in local and
1: municipal and state elections. Right, and I'm, I'm quoting Ballotpedia here. As of June 2023, the District of Columbia and municipalities in three states allowed non-citizens to vote in some or all local elections. So it's California, Maryland, and Vermont. And so you've got 11 cities in Maryland, three in Vermont, Oakland, California, and the District of Columbia. And besides that, New York City tried to pass legislation to allow illegal immigrants to vote in city elections, but the uh, state Supreme court struck that down as being unconstitutional in the state. And then uh, California, they, uh, they allow it. I think in San Francisco for parents of school students, public school students. So if you want to be able to vote in the school board election, you can there, but it's, it's, it's limited somewhat there, but, um, I take it back. I think that's Oakland. San Francisco, they tried to do it, but the uh, Supreme Court, uh, a state Supreme Court struck that down for San Francisco. So in Oakland, you're allowed to vote for the school board. but Which makes a little
0: bit of sense little bit of since sense. the children are in the schools, here's,
1: right? Here's the problem. Occasionally we see there are people who are not legal immigrants who go in to vote and they'll often, if they're caught, they sometimes say, well, I I thought I could, or somebody Hmm. told me I could, so I just thought I could. If you've opened it up to being able to vote in state and local elections... Then you might well think you can go vote in the presidential election. Sure, I mean you just may not know. You may not be able to speak English, and so you think that's okay for you to do as well. And there are people.
0: And you fill out a mail-in ballot, and we know that there's all sorts of security issues with mail-in ballots and things like that. Right. So, yeah.
1: And so one of the concerns, and you brought this up, is that progressives are already calling for the ability to to expedite the ability of these people who are coming in here illegally, to become citizens and have the right to vote. And a reasonable person could think, is that because you think they're going to vote for a Democrat? And because as you're going out there saying we need to give them this vote, we need to provide more resources and so forth, that lures them to, in essence, vote uh, Democratic. Sure, But there's more to that. And and incidentally, I, I was surprised to find out, because I thought this was sort of the case that people could not vote as illegal immigrants here for, you know, ever. But in fact, that's not the case. So according to Governing Governing Magazine, I'm quoting here, 39 U.S. states permitted what they called alien suffrage for local, state, and federal elections between 1776 and 1926. The U.S. government did not explicitly prohibit non-citizen voters in federal elections until the illegal immigration reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act of 1996. So uh, uh, between 1770, 1776 and 1926, you had a lot of alien, what they called alien suffrage going on. Mm. Um, which,
0: you know, that is, you're looking at a time period there where there's huge amounts of of immigration coming through Ellis Island and all mm-hmm, this kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know, from European countries and that sort of thing. And um, the country's growing and the country's undergoing expansion, especially westward expansion and all that sort of thing. And it, it does seem like probably it was not as big of a concern then. Uh, you, you probably didn't hear they're taking our jobs back then <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, you, like you do right now. Well,
1: you had some concerns about that, but, mm-hmm. but certainly that's, uh, uh, it's interesting that they did allow it in, in uh, states and many states did allow that, but then eventually stopped that. Now, one of the questions that comes about is, can they get immigration reform? And of course, as we mentioned earlier, there is some discussion right now. It's part of a deal that if, if you're going to provide funding for Ukraine mm-hmm. and Israel, we want to have immigration reform. Uh, there had been discussions over the past few weeks that they were getting closer and closer and closer. And now we find that uh, Donald Trump, as a presidential candidate, is discouraging them from getting uh, reaching a deal because he would like it as a a campaign issue to be able to say, look how bad things are.
0: Which, of course, is something that we that we criticize the other party for as well, right? We don't want to solve this problem. We want to keep it as a campaign issue. Yeah. And now it appears that Republicans, or at least Donald Trump, wants to do the same Taking thing. Taking
1: that general approach isn't, isn't restricted to Democrats. It can be done That's by right. Republicans and Democrats. But if they're getting close to immigration reform and if it were good legislation... It would be a shame to see it not pass just because of an election yeah. coming
0: up. There, there's also kind of an interesting sort of um, political philosophy thing going on here. There's a tendency for there's a tendency for us to think that every legislative debate ought to be dealt with in its own separate, freestanding piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. In other words, you shouldn't combine issue X with issue Y when the two of them have nothing to do with each other, right? And the idea is that, you know, one of those is not germane to the other. And so everything ought to just be on a freestanding vote. We shouldn't do all this trading off and deal making and that sort of thing.
1: And when when that comes up, you'll sometimes hear the majority leader in the Senate or in the House or something. We want a clean bill. We want something that's not encumbered by anything else. We want
0: to add a bunch of stuff to it. Right. Um, now, when we talk about this issue of Ukraine funding and immigration, they're not considering this in the same bill. It's not the same package. But it is this this idea of political horse trading, right, yes. which is like there's something we want really bad that you don't want, and there's something you want really bad that we're kind of of mixed feelings on. So the Democrats want support for Ukraine, and so do many Republicans. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the Republicans want— but, but there's a lot of Republicans who are adamantly exactly, against Ukraine. Exactly, exactly. And the Republicans want improved border security, and even some of those that are wishy-washy on Ukraine would probably be willing to trade that for more border security, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, this this is politics. This kind of horse trading is politics. That's why you hear these arguments about how, you know, you don't want to see it necessarily watch how sausage is made. Right. You know? Um, And so this is the dynamic we're looking at right now.
1: And we we mentioned Ukraine, but also Israel is tossed in there. And and I I would think that the large majority of the members of Congress want funding for Israel, but some of the progressives do not. Mm -hmm.
0: Exactly. So that is sort of the big political argument that's going on right now at this moment in time. Interestingly enough, going back to the thing we were talking about earlier about how illegal immigrants are used for congressional apportionment, Mm -hmm. literally this afternoon, there were some senators who introduced a bill that would change that, Mm -hmm. that would say, we do not, we include them in the Senate, we include illegal immigrants in the census, but we distinguish and we do not use them for for, for, for apportionment for congressional seats. And therefore, we don't use them for apportionment for the Electoral College. Right. Because the Electoral College essentially is calculated off of, off of congressional seats. Right. So seeing that bill being introduced this afternoon just sort of drove home for me that I think immigration and the border is going to be the dominant issue. It, maybe. At least it appears at this point that, that immigration and the border is going to be the dominant political issue going forward. And uh, let's not forget that we have a presidential election coming up in the fall. We have House and Senate seats coming up uh, uh, in the in the election. And I think immigration is going to end up being a big, big issue. That's why we titled this podcast Immigration Takes Center Stage. And even the Democrats now are starting to put pressure on the Biden administration that we have to do something. And when you see, like, the mayor of New York complaining about how immigration is going to bankrupt the city. Mayor of Chicago also. Exactly. It makes me wonder if, the, if they would try again that little thing about allowing illegal immigrants to vote. Mm-hmm. It may be that, that, that they've soured a little bit on the idea of being a sanctuary city for illegal immigrants, yep. now that they're being forced to bear at least some of the cost. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode. We would invite you to check out our website at IPI.org. And sign up there if you'd like to receive notices of our new content, new podcast episodes, and upcoming events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.